0: Welcome to Channel Waves, the podcast where channel leaders share success strategies, best practices, and emerging trends. Brought to you by Structured Web. Here's your host, Stephen Kellum. Hey, welcome everyone to Channel Waves podcast. Structured Web's you into everything channel. I'm your host, Stephen Kellum. And very excited to have Jamie Mendez joining us today. Welcome, Jamie. Hi, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. You're, you're welcome. So Jamie is a Vice President of Ecosystem Transformation and Programs at Pegasystems. So maybe you could just take a moment tell everyone a little bit just real briefly about your your background a little bit of history and and maybe a little bit about peg assistance too.
1: Sure. So I've been in uh the partner environment for longer than I care to admit, many 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 years. Um and through that worked with all kinds of partner types from uh you know the traditional channel partner, the the old bar reseller model through, you know, as the that community evolved into solution providers ISVs regional system integrators global system integrators and really over the last probably 10 or 15 years I've worked in the ecosystem and building ecosystems of ecosystems you know finding core partners an ISV looking at their ecosystem of partners marrying that ecosystem of partners with other partners who who brought complementary value to the table for the client Um, So I've been in and around partner operations, channel management, selling, marketing uh, for many, many years, and um, have learned a lot and seen a a lot of change. And what I did become um, and built some skill around is designing change and managing change. Change is hard. Change means I'm asking people to give up things for new things. And while people love new things, giving up something typically creates an emotional response at some level. People are either super excited or super protective, and you have to kind of manage your way through that. So um, operationally, I've been focused on that for a few years, and, and I joined Pega Systems two years ago as Pega was really trying to evolve its partner ecosystem to really have the partner's uh, participate in a greater way around the co-selling selling motion in the journey with our clients, and and start that motion earlier so that when we got to delivery and our partners um, provide most delivery support around Pega Systems solutions, we are a a platform that can be designed to address many of the most complex issues that our clients face. Um, when you get partners involved early and they understand the client pain points, the opportunities, they have more time to really digest that, build the right approach to the project, the right implementation strategy. So that's the kind of um, operational model we're putting in place and working with our our partners to evolve over time. We have a small ecosystem, but that ecosystem drives our business and very important to our success. So there's two things I want to I want to talk about. Uh, okay. By the way, listeners or
0: viewers, we're gonna we're gonna talk about how do you do more with less. And I know everybody's talking about how do you do more with less, but we're gonna look at it from a strategic perspective because it I think it involves two things you were talking about. One it involves the ecosystem. And by the way, you got to say ecosystem before I did, so we had to we we had to we had to bring it in somewhere. So I win. <laughs> you you, you went. And when we're gonna talk ecosystem beyond partners, your ecosystem really, from my perspective, when you're running a channel. Is uh, the partners that you sell with, the partners you sell to, uh, the uh, the resources, human resources that you have, and even the technology that's in there, right? It all forms a pretty broad uh, ecosystem. The interesting thing is they're all changing, and they were all changing. Oh, step back for a second. They were all changing anyways during the pandemic. Then they were all changing post the pandemic, and then you took those changes. And said, now we need to do more with less, which is not a change I'm not sure, sure everybody was really looking forward to, but it is where we are. So, I think we're going we're gonna to talk about those changes. And I, I, The place I'd like to start with is, what's the partner's perspective on this? Because so many of the conversations that I've had with people have been, okay, here's how I'm going to change my, for vendors, here's how I'm going to change my programs, here's going to lay out my resources, and the first thing that comes to mind to me is, you know, how is that going to affect our partner relationships, their go-to-market strategy, and and how how that all really affects the partner?
1: Yeah, well, I think it it depends on um, which partners we're talking about and how you react. I mean, at at the end of the day, some of our uh, biggest partners are going through some of the same challenges we're going through. Sure. Um, you know, our clients are all being very cautious. Uh, people are still kind of uncertain about the economy some are saying it's a disaster some are saying it's not so bad right. but most all clients are moving very cautiously so buying decisions are made are being prolonged you know that cycle is being prolonged a bit True. so so everybody's facing the same situation and what i find is the partners want to have conversations about those challenges and ensure alignment in the decisions we're making because we're all having to make trade-off decisions on how to prioritize Sure. And what to prioritize on and what the downstream implications are going to be. And they want to have that conversation. They, their expectation or, and their ask is don't make a decision until we can kind of make sure that those decisions, what those, the impact of those decisions will be on the decisions we now have to make. So sure. we've, we've had partners calling us and saying, look, we're going to have to make some uh, reassignments, reprioritizations, cuts, This is where we're thinking about doing it. What what will that look like on your side? You know, if we do this, what what will the longer term implication be? Will there be any longer term implications? So, alignment, transparency, and alignment is critical in these times. One for making sure you you, you're not fighting each other, right, and creating collisions in market, but building trust. It's like, you know, marriages aren't made from the happy times marriages are made from the the difficult times when you're challenged and you you work together to get through those those difficult times and come out the other end and and that's true of our partnerships i hate to use the marriage analogy but but we are committed to each other right in these partnerships and we have to be willing to talk about the things that aren't comfortable and and that's what we're seeing and and hopefully our partners are seeing that we're willing to, and are actively having these conversations about how can we do this together and get through these tough times together? No, I think that's a great way to look at
0: it. It's a couple of things. One is a commitment is something I think really important. And I think that's the best thing about a marriage, right? You choose to commit, I don't know, partners in a relationship, marriage.
1: Uh, Yeah, I know. That's why I apologize a little bit for the analogy, but it's, you know, like I, I relate. It's, it's something I, I understand, but. It's any relationship. It doesn't have to be marriage. It could be your best, you know, your BFF, right? No,
0: no, no. No, Hi, no. So. It's, I, look, I think transparency. I, I agree with you. I think transparency in any relationship. And does that mean you have to have some of the hard conversations? So, the you know, the questions are they may not have enough resources and you have less resources. You know, where's the middle ground on that? And uh, that's not the easiest conversation to have, right? Because you're right. mutually dependent. And I guess it would depend on your your the type of partner and and how critical each one's uh, is to each other.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, at the end of the day, what are we all trying to do? We're all trying to serve a client. Right. So if we start with the client and we back, you know, we start backing away from the client in the conversation of what do we need to serve that client? How do we together go to that client? Which resources are needed? Which activities are needed um, to make all of that happen? And, and it makes the conversation easier because, when it starts to get difficult, you come back to, how are we serving the client? And if you can keep reminding yourself of that, you can get through the conversation either easier. I, because we have been in conversations where somebody feels very strongly about a program that right. we agreed to in December, and now we, you know do we keep doing it? Well, is that the best way to serve that client at this point in time based on what is the client going through? Is the client downsizing? Is the client changing their strategy based on economic conditions? So that, that seems to be the right area to start with and keep asking yourself, what are they trying to do? How can we best serve them? Um, And it seems obvious, but it's still hard to get yourself to come back to those, especially when you're really invested in something that you already agreed to And now you're finding you have to revisit it. That's hard to do. Those are not easy conversations to have. So you've got to find that grounding. point. I think it's interesting. You said it sounds
0: obvious. I'm not so sure it is because you have pundits out there. Sorry, pundits probably the wrong word. You have consultants out there. You have groups like Forrester who are doing very well talking about how we need to all look at the client perspective first. How are they going to buy? What do they want to do? What do they want to accomplish? And they're constantly reminding us as we put our programs together, uh, whether it's an India program or an incentive program, or whatever that program is with the partner to think about the end user. Um, and I, I do think that is the, the way to do it. And the other thing I think about, you made me think about it, is when you manage someone, if you have something, if you're going through a review with someone and you're trying to work with someone to have a difficult conversation, it's much easier. If you have a different focal point than them, and you're actually talking about how you get somewhere else together, yeah. That's like an age-old, wise way to manage someone anyways, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's funny because um, I was just thinking about when you were saying that <laughs> we, we were on a client call, we were doing a delivery review, and the team was talking about a challenge that the client was having with scope creep. And the business team and the client was wanting to add functionality feature sets scope. Yeah. And the IT team at the client was saying this was the scope we signed up for. This is the delivery, you know, date we're going to. And they were both emotionally invested and the partner and and Pega were sitting on the outside listening to this and thinking and and trying to help them see right that they were each taking a different perspective on what the scope was. And they had to come back to what is more important, solving a specific initial prioritization or moving to a different one or being okay with missing the date. Like you can make all kinds of decisions in that. None of them are wrong. It's getting the team to agree on the shift. And again, that may meant somebody had to give something up and that's, you know, I, I had a business mentor, you know, remind me to go back and reread, what is it, Getting to Yes? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's like such an old book, but the principles of reminding, going back to what do we have in common at stake is just, has to be the pillar of every conversation. And I just have gone back recently and reread that to keep asking myself, okay, if I'm at an impasse, what? Or I I'm unsure what is the common milestone that we all have to hit here, or what is the common interest that we all have. And if I can keep bringing everybody back to that, then then we can keep the conversation going. We don't have people you know digging in on a specific point of view. And these are not easy conversations, as I said. So yeah. you've got to you've got to pick something to focus on, as you said. Something
0: well, exciting. in particular, if there are less resources, so let me just going down that path. One more point, if there are less resources involved, you don't need to get to a decision quicker. I mean, you just, you have finite, I, I think both of you have to figure out when you're dealing with that client, you have finite resources. At some point, somebody has to make a decision because you, do, do you find there's any impatience in that? Oh, so that's you No,
1: know, but I, I find there's a people pleasers. There's people pleasers everywhere, right? So yeah. what I find is somebody's gonna come to the rescue and sign up to do something that is mostly impossible and sometimes they will end up doing it and that's you know superhuman, far out thank you for working 24 7 for the last three weeks to make that happen right but the the unfortunate issue is that more more times people can't do all that work and they and even though they will they will try to do the you know huge extend themselves beyond human, you know, capability, it's just not possible. So they take it on themselves. And look, I, I try to do that sometimes too. And I have people on my team, I see them doing that. And I have to say, please, like, your job is not to work 24 seven. Let's be reasonable here. Let's, we have a, this is a long journey we're on together. Let's not kill ourselves in the first mile. Like, let's be reasonable about this. And it's, it's hard. When you really want somebody to be, or a project to be successful or a team to be successful, it's really hard pulling back and saying that's not possible in realistic terms because we don't have the resources, we don't have the money, we don't have the time. Whatever the thing is that you've had to remove, you have to be careful that the people pleasers don't jump in uh, to save the day. So
0: that gets me to the second one. That's a human resource. So we'll talk about the partners, okay. and then we'll talk about human resources. Then let's talk about the automation, maybe technology, and then we'll end it up with maybe innovation. But So you just jumped into the the human side. And so how do you coach that? How do you manage that? I've had people who work for me that like wanted to do everything, and they couldn't say no. And the problem was if you can't say no and you can't deliver it, you not only hurt yourself, you 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 hurt the whole you hurt the whole project.
1: I think it's that conversation, right? Is is giving them permission by helping them understand that you can't no one can do it all. And and we don't have to do it all. We have to be reasonable. We have to set expectations and deliver against expectations. That's the conversation. I'm not saying I've successfully done it in every conversation because, again, I, I've been guilty of this. I've seen people on my team still do it, and and it's all for the right reason. And when you have somebody that's doing something for the right reason, it's hard to coach them out of it sometimes. But I think in the in the volume of change that we've had, so much change in this last year. I mean, everyone says it's unprecedented and it's it's cliche, but I just think about. It's not just the the big news changes that have been going on, but all the reaction to that down below it, and and it's been personal, you know, community, um, you know, professional. It's a lot. It's a lot, and and I think it's a little bit easier. I don't know. I just find people are a little more open than they've ever been to these kind of tough conversations and being more vulnerable. Right. and 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 I find that I have to be vulnerable in order to have these conversations if, I was going to say how do you actually get people to do that by the way if you're
0: doing that and you got your team to do that that's fantastic because I don't think that's actually I don't think that's the norm
1: yeah I look again hundred 100 100% no but I I feel that and I don't know maybe we should get my team on the call to to have this conversation but you know I've pretty much taken I, I used to be a closed book. I didn't talk about anything personal. I didn't reveal, I, you know, would never share my failures. I now openly share my failures. I openly share my vulnerabilities, my fears, um, to a certain degree. Like I can't do it to the point where I'm making other people scared. Right. But <clears throat> I'm, because that's the other thing, like you have sure. there's a fine line leaders have to walk of right. being vulnerable, but not so vulnerable that you, you, don't, people can't have confidence that you know what you're doing and you'll get the job done or lead them to get the job done. So there's a fine line that you have to walk on, on being willing to ha- to be vulnerable, to have your team vulnerable. So you can have those conversations, those tough conversations. And then you've got to commit to the people to make them successful and hold them up and ensure they're successful. Not do the job for them, but arm them, commit to them, make sure that they have the support that, that they need. And these are leadership lessons that we've been prepared and getting for years now, right? Uh, and, and we're learning more. Um, as COVID post-COVID times are changing us yet again, we're learning more about what our employees um, need to be successful and what our partners need to be successful. And a lot of this is today we have to be, open and flexible but clear on our expectations because we can't be so flexible that we can't run a business and um and i think in some ways there was we've been testing the boundaries of that a little bit right and so um some companies are pulling way back in and saying everybody back to the office some company that's
0: that's what i was thinking of i was thinking of work from home don't work from home What's in the middle? We got very, very flexible for quite a long time on that.
1: And now most companies are trying to find where's the line in hybrid. Have some people in, some of the times, most of the people in, some of the time. And every company's got their own culture and are defining those rules. Uh, and they just need to be clear on what the expectation is. And, and for, as we work with partners, we need to understand what are their boundaries, what are their work styles? How has their culture changed? And what are we doing to support that as part of our business model, as in as much as we can? And those again, it comes back to constant conversations about alignment. Are we aligned as as a, as an as organizations in our go to market, in our culture, in our aspirations and our goals? What are the roles we're expecting of each other? Um, and when there's conflict of any kind. How do we manage that conflict? What are our escalation um, agreements on these things? Cause we are going to hit impasses, but as long as we understand how we're both going to handle those, um, we're going to get through it and it's going to be productive and we're going to learn from it. And that's what we hope for.
0: Personal question.
1: Mm-hmm. I'll
0: My weakness has been patience. And one of the things that I've had to work on in the past couple of years going through this has been patience. So I'm being vulnerable. That was the thing that just wasn't, just wasn't there for me. And I really had had to work on that. Anything for you in particular that you would like to share? Matter of fact, you don't have to.
1: No, I I would tell you patience is also, I think patience uh, for, you know, type A personalities, you know, overachievers, perfection and patience are our two Achilles heels, right? Like we're always trying to get the best we can get in the time, you know, the shortest time possible. And that that can have a negative impact on our teams and and I constantly have to ask myself am I going too far? I've had my team call me out and say, you know, hey, you're you're expecting more than we can deliver. Okay. I I went too far. Thank you for letting me know and I've also had them say that and I've had to say, you know what? It's the client's expectation or the executive team is asking us to push a little harder to get there. So, but yeah, Probably patience and perfection, hand in hand, very dangerous. I have to constantly watch myself on those. Mm, agreed. Uh,
0: all right, well, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about automation. And you and I have talked about this a couple of times offline. Um, we hear over and over again, you got to automate, you got to automate, you got to automate everything. You're talking to someone who's run an MDF company, an incentive company, uh, TCMA, been involved, pretty much from watched whole automation grow up. I'm talking MDF and incentives and PRM and TCA and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I realized it's not perfect, but everybody says, hey, automate, automate, automate. I'm curious to your perspective, time savings involved, some of the challenges, and, and actually even what your team thinks about it, right? Because it's one thing to hear it from maybe a supplier or a vendor. It's one thing to look at it from an executive level or a management level, but it's sort of curious how your even your team thinks about that, right? and any side of automation, totally, totally open.
1: Yeah, so look, especially now, automation is the answer to everything. The more you can automate, the more you can get done, the more accurate, potentially, right? That that whatever process you're setting up, whatever reporting you're setting up, whatever support you're setting up, automation solves for a lot of the challenges we face today the challenge we have is is always build or buy cost and flexibility and agility right and and as things are expanding and contracting like we all built systems for expansion during covid because all of a sudden everybody needed us and right. and technology was the place to be like it was great and so we all hurried and built things or bought things and then we start to see a contraction and it's like, well, if we contract here, we're going to break that. Or if we remove this, then this isn't going to work. And so I, you know, my, and my team will say, look, we'll just build, you know, a little process on our, our code platform, or we'll go do this in Excel. And, and we've got things all over the place. And then how does it all interwork? And what ends up happening is you have manu- manual processes tying automation together that's what ends up happening. And we used to come at auto-magical, right? Auto-magical. That's a great that's great
0: on the front end, not so great on the back end.
1: Yeah, but I, I need experts like you to tell me and guide me on how do I deal with this? Because, look, I'm one of those business, you, you know the client I mentioned earlier who had scope creep? Yeah. I'm guilty. Like, I start out with a little project and I can, by the time we're two weeks into it, I got five more ideas. And three weeks into it, I got 20 more ideas. And, you know, a month into it, I got 60 more ideas. And so I know scope creep very well, and am very guilty of it. And I need the platform vendors who really understand this stuff to say, this is the kind of thing that you want to plan for, or this is how you can bring this together. Um, You know, I've been in seven or eight different companies now, nine companies, I've used all kinds of you know best of breed and all kinds of homegrown. Uh, and they all have their advantages and and disadvantages. and um, you know, I don't know what the next set of innovations going to bring in this, but I certainly think we could the Martech, especially landscape, is uh, challenging to figure out how to build the right stack. To, to drive your business and have that flexibility. It's tough. It's tough. I do think,
0: I, having been involved in, the, like I said, NBF and Incentives and PRM and TCAM, all of that, I, I do think there is a bright spot. I, I I do think there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's not a train coming, it, it, it's going to work, but it's taken some time because I don't think everyone has really pulled together. I think a lot of the uh, Martech companies have been siloed in their thinking and what happens when you were talking about when you start build or buy and you end up halfway and we all sort of work together in this right when it's halfway look you can do anything in an excel spreadsheet but you can also make a lot of mistakes and it takes a lot of time and everybody knows it's a problem and then you end up with a bunch of silos i do think the vendors out there are starting to figure all this out i think another thing is they're all trying to figure out you know how to truly make it a SaaS platform you and i talked about that not everything that's out there is configurable. There's still a lot of coding. And I do think organizations are getting better at that. I get to be the first one that says ecosystem orchestration, whatever that means in someone's mind. You know, the ideal piece is, I think you should have a piece of technology that has a single layer of data, has a single um, view across the top and has a single data layer underneath it and a bunch of apps run up underneath it and it's all interchangeable. I mean, if I'm in your shoes, that's what I'm looking for. and maybe you're a year or two away from that being really, really good. I just don't see it not happening. Do you remember? You probably do remember because we've both been doing this for a while. If you bought an India platform 10 years ago, it was all bespoke. It was all custom. Look, I used to have a programmer that a very large vendor would call on at midnight and he would code it and fix it. And he was really happy. And I was like, that is not good. This does not scale. We, we we can't we can't do that. And then it makes it so hard for, for what your people to be successful because I think the optimal supplier makes it really easy for you and your people to operate. It's not just is it easy and simple for the partner, but it needs to be really easy and simple for you guys too. And I, I didn't yeah.
1: get there. Well, I think about it again, if I I agree with you hundred percent. And I think about it even a step further. If we think about the client, right? So if a client has a technology stack to run their business. And we see that technology stack kind of play out over and over. You know, you've got the the MarTech stack, you've got the HR right. stack, you've yep. got the ERP stack, yep. right? And then you have kind of platforms like ours where they're building very specialized, highly transactional workflow-based systems, right? But we see the same vendors over and over and over again. Wouldn't it be great if we had I'm gonna call it a marketplace. That might not be the right word, but an environment. Okay, well, that's a whole separate
0: conversation if we've gotta go down there because it'd be pretty cool if it all was there, right?
1: Yeah, like the ecosystem of the, the each vendor's ecosystem played together to say, look, we're gonna do enablement around the staff. We're gonna do marketing around the stack, We're gonna do, because when these clients are thinking about these things, they can't think about one app or one vendor in isolation they've got to think about hey if i make this decision around this technology it's going to affect all the other things so how do these things play and you don't see that very often you might see two vendors going out with mess- joint messaging or co-branding you might see three now that the hyperscalers are doing a lot of the kind of co-marketing type of stuff but you really you know you don't have just three vendors in a in a true tech stack you might have seven or eight 10 Why can't we figure out how to get a system where the stuff gets pulled together and we work together to enable that stack for the client thinking, you know, putting the client first, that would be an innovation where everybody feels safe. We're all getting our words in, we're all getting our messages and we're getting to that buyer to make the buyer's decision and, and buyer's understanding of that stack so much better, faster, easier. That would be very cool. I don't know if we can get there. So, okay. I think three
0: things on that. First of all, the partners would love it because partners, there's like six, they understand there are other partners involved in it. You got an ISV, you got a reseller, you've got all sorts of partners that are coming in. So I think they would like that. Um, There are a couple of organizations like partnership leaders is kind of interesting, right? They're a new and up and coming organization. I know they did a catalyst event in Miami last year and they do one in Denver. And so they spent a lot of time talking about, about doing that. So I think there's organizations that are kind of thinking that way. I think partners would love it. Believe it or not, I hear distribution. So distribution is trying to figure out how they add value. And they're sitting there thinking, okay, you know, I don't want to just be a warehouse. I don't want to be a bank, but I see the partners here. I see all the vendors here. I see the end user here. They're actually in a pretty interesting place if you're talking on the long tail side in particular to actually create this orchestration and I, I think that actually makes a, little, a lot of sense. I think we're yeah. hitting there.
1: I've been I've been out of the kind of direct contact to distribution for a couple of years now because Pega we don't use distribution. But I I do remember when I was at IBM, um, both Ingram and Tech Data were were working around this kind of trying to figure out how to bring it all together. And I I just I haven't seen it as kind of a, a big play. They may already have it in place for their partners, but. You know, I know clients are still trying to piece some of this together themselves, and would love the help of you know how this could all come together. Yeah, I think
0: oh, I think it's a huge opportunity for someone. I I, I totally agree. This this goes all the way back, you know, when I was an MSP in the 2000s, right? And I had 14 solutions as a managed service provider. I was like, why am I going to all these places for my MDF and incentives? Why couldn't I have it all in one place? So I think everybody's right. trying to streamline. It. I think automation. I think automation will get there. But I also think there's innovation that's gonna help as well. So maybe we can wrap it up with, I I think OpenAI and ChatGPT is everywhere. When I'm I'm at a cocktail party and everybody's talking about ChatGPT for their kids, or I'm even at church, and the pastor is talking about how he put his name in ChatGPT before his sermon, and it came up, and some was good and some was bad. I mean, it's gone mainstream faster than anything that I'd seen. As a matter of fact, ChatGPT is the fastest growing per user technology in history.
1: Yeah, I saw a chart. Where did I see that chart where it showed, like compared to other technologies like face or social media and some of the other technologies. And then I had ChatGPT and it was like, like straight up and everything else had kind of a nice line curve, but yeah, scary. But this is what everybody wants. Everybody wants a simple, like ask a question and get an answer nobody wants to have to try to figure out the right syntax or the right questions or the right answers and of course all the students want their papers written so <laughs> they,
0: they, they do but so here so what are you guys using chat GPT have you guys got
1: involved in, do you see that as a place that yeah. you're in which so, you am gonna well from a technology perspective we have work underway with GPT now we are a you know, strategic partner with Google. So there's announcements. We, we made a pre-announce, we announced our intention and we have our big event coming up in June. I'm, I'm, sure there will be some announcements there on how we've integrated GPT into the, and, and our own expansion of our own AI work in our platform. You know, from my perspective, I was just having a conversation with our team about, you know, where does our portal go with you know, instead of people searching for things or having to go through a process on the site, why can't I just go in and say, tell me how to X, Y, Z, fill in the blank and and have chat just give, give me the answer, right? Why, especially for partners that don't have a direct relationship and are, are exploring or building their business around us and aren't yet in, in the formal program and they just want to know how to engage us. That would be ideal. So we are having those conversations and trying to lay out our plan for how we get there. So we're seeing it from our
0: perspective. We're marketing automation, channel marketing automation platform. It's pretty interesting, right? Even at the most base level, what I've seen, partners' biggest fear, besides not having content or not having leads, is what to do when they get content, right? And it's a real challenge. You could go out and create the best content in the world and you send it to a partner, especially the small partners, and they're like, oh my gosh, how do I send an email and a subject line to this vertical? And I know that sounds silly, but it's not. It's a frozen moment for a partner who a lot of them don't have big marketing teams to understand how to do something like that. And it's not perfect, but it's pretty amazing. And that's the road we're going to go down to is, you know, how do we help you get your content to those partners and get those partners to really use it Um, because if they can engage and get a subject line and email to a particular vertical, now we're going to have to train something like ChatGPT in our instance, right? So it's all up to date, Uh, but that's totally doable. Just a huge time saver and that's at a very basic level. I mean, there's, I'm sure open AI could do so many things, but I just think from a marketing perspective in the channel, it can really, really be a time saver for partners.
1: Yeah. hundred percent agree. I mean, look, none of us have the patience. Our, our patience keeps getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Our attention spans get shorter and shorter and shorter. So do I want to go do a bunch of homework to figure something out? No, I just want somebody to tell me what, tell me how to do it. me, so, And tell me the the probabilities of my success, right? doing this because I could see where I would get an automated recommendation, but I'd want to be able to validate in some way, like, is, did they mean for this to be my answer? Like, how do I go out and verify that? That's the one thing. And maybe it's just me and my suspicious mind, (laughs) you know, was this just the, the trained answer for somebody that sort of looks like me, or is it really going to work for me? How do I validate that? So that's the one thing. And I guess I would just ask different questions to see what kind of different answers I would get to circle around back to that. But yeah, if I can ask a question and get a recommendation without having to spend hours searching websites or reading white papers on best practices, why not?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, you've got to be able to validate it for sure. I think you need to be able to train it and make sure that it's all up to date. Um, And I think you need to understand, I think we're going to learn, how do we prompt, how do we, it's not just, do I ask a question? How do I ask that right questions? But I do agree with this, validate across, So use Chappie Chi and you validate it with Google. I mean, there's got to be, there's got to be a way to validate this, right?
1: Well, when you were saying that, I was just thinking, so, you know, everybody started relying on ratings and rankings, right? So... If GPT is recommending things, what's going to happen with ratings and rankings, and how will I value ratings and rankings versus what GPT is telling me what to do? It'll be interesting to see what behaviors start to emerge in the way we think and react to those things, right? You because know, I, we've all got, we've all gotten trained to go look at what's the star rating on that thing oh, right now, right? Uh, oh, I, um,
0: yeah, I'm wondering. Like you look at you know G two to Yelp. I mean. You know, for we all everything we do how many stars it has what is it this would be absolutely absolutely fat would there be influencers on chat gpt look i think that's interesting that is really interesting it is right who's going to influence chat gpt that uh okay we could open pandora's box but literally if you just want to be able to write an email and make it sound half decent there's some of the simplest things possible that you can save so much time. But then once you get broader, then yes. I think the answer is gonna be, what do you plug into it? But remember, information is only as good as what you get plugged into. So we could take ChatGPT, for instance, on our system, if your partners were using it and we your website and all of your information was plugged into it, so it was accurate and update on a regular time. And then if they searched anything about you, it would be dependent on your website and your information. That's that's going to be totally doable. You're going to have plugins to this that are going to be validated by whatever you as a vendor or anybody think is plugged into it. I mean, there's going to be plugins back and forth on all this stuff. So yeah, technology is really interesting. We'll see where something like chat TVT goes, right? I think it's going to be, I think it's inevitable. The question is, how do we make it really work? When does it become mainstream? Someone argues it's already mainstream.
1: So I think we'll see how it, it plays in the channel, but it, it has a place. I have another technology question sort of for you. Okay. So, you know, Bitcoin. Okay. Digital currency. Um, You know, there was a lot of talk and I remember being, I, a, I'm a huge proponent until the FTX thing happened. Maybe I, now I have a question mark. Yeah, nah, that brought up a few question marks. Sure. Yeah, so, but. Um, you know, at one point, there was a, a lot of conversation about marketplaces based on digital uh, currency and or uh, exchange of of uh, Bitcoin. Do you guys see your the market continuing to evolve and embrace digital currency as a way to support some of this go to market activity and and giving partners the ability to earn? Digital currency through activity, and then spend that digital currency and go to market, or is the the world going to remain based in you know cash payment? Look, I think that's a great
0: question. I think there's, I think there's two sides to it. I think are we gonna, are partners going to start to be scored on everything they do, and that's how we reward, motivate, or incentivize them? I 100% agree you know the whole tiering and everybody goes oh tiering systems I'm gonna do it. I'm sorry it's just another way of tiering it's it's it is a, a better way i think to tier things right because you're you're basing it on, on it's a meritocracy right and you're basing it on, on what they do so i i absolutely believe in scoring based reward systems what the currency is that's in there it could be all over the place i i had a vendor come to me and said hey um we've got all these MDF dollars that someone, all these rebate dollars that someone has earned and we can either pay them a rebate. But what if we gave them MDF dollars instead and gave them a bonus? And this was 10 years ago. I was like, okay, you're definitely showing me that we need to figure out how to motivate partners to take their money and spend it in the most productive way. But some partners, top line, bottom line, what... And actually, do you really care if they're successful in driving revenue, right? Every partner's gonna be a little bit different. So I think the answer is yes, all over the place. How are we gonna reward them and what sort of currency? Honestly, I don't I don't have a great answer on that.
1: Interesting. There's a lot of opportunity, right? Again, to build marketing marketplaces. Yeah. Where multiple vendors come together and um, and can buy and sell services. And um, it may, just makes it easier if everybody's using the same the same system, and there's some tracking in that. So I, I think there's that's still an innovation to kind of catch up with okay. the IT marketplace in some way. I think so. All right. So is, one last thing. Any is that it?
0: Do you have opportunity? One last thought. Anything you want to leave our listeners or viewers with? Anything that? Hey, I'll take it back. So what do you think about on business when you wake up in the morning? What's the first thing on your mind?
1: Um, the first thing on mind is, I guess, is, you know, how can I do more better? Like, what am I, where, where are we on point? Where are, where do we have gaps and where have we not started? So it's, you know, start, stop, continue kind of thinking. Um, and I, again, I think, think trying to meet our partners and our clients where they are and supporting that motion is our biggest challenge and opportunity at the moment um, because everybody's going through some kind of change right now. And just trying to run a program as it's published is probably not very meaningful at the moment. It, I think we need that as guidance and guidelines, but we really need to be responsive to the challenges everybody's going through right now and and help each other get through that over the next whatever the
0: economists would like to give yeah so that hey, okay last piece actually so how long do you think we're going to be in this do
1: you have any idea have you thought about that at least six months 12 months what do you think i'm not an economist that's for sure and the the thing is it's very mixed it's like there's some bright sharp stars and good things happening and then there's some challenges and every time I turn the news and I see you know in OPEC cut production and raise prices that's not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> right? Or interest rates go up again, that not, not a good sign, but you know on the other hand we're closing new customers and new business. That's a great sign. Um you know part, clients are are driving their digital transformation initiatives forward and I I know that's kind of a tired expression. These are not simple transitions they're going through. These are, you know, three year journeys that started, they were kind of forced into accelerate because of COVID and they're continuing to pull those through to completion. So we're seeing a uh, continued, very positive movement for our clients, but, but very cautiously. So I'm hoping we we're out of this in early 2024. I, I That's don't that know that... cautiously optimistic.
0: Yeah, I think so. That's a pretty good way to go. All right, well, um, Jamie, thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, thank you. So what's the best way for anyone to get in touch with you?
1: I'm on LinkedIn, okay. Jamie Mendez on, uh, J.A. Mendez on LinkedIn, um, Twitter. I'm, I'm always reading Twitter. I haven't posted in a while, but um, either way, and uh, happy to connect with anyone that wants to chat about marketing marketplaces and or um, how we go to market together in the tech stack. All right, once again, thank you very much listeners. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Steve,
0: have a great day.